0: Okay, so this morning, we're going back to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, we were just starting the book. Uh, We had spent the prior week going through an introduction of the book, talking primarily about Solomon being the author, and talking about the proofs of that. We continued that, talking about whether Solomon was a saved individual or not, two weeks ago, and then getting started on the very first two verses of the book. Then we had just gotten in to this section on chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, this idea of things being cyclical uh, in all that we see. And we talked about how that God in his wisdom and in his uh, knowing all things had established the earth cycles at creation. The the, uh, sun, moon, and stars were created in order to establish uh, seasons and years and months and days. And he's the one who did this, and he reestablished them again after the flood, and reiterated these cycles. And when we look at these cycles, uh, we're sometimes awed by it. I don't know about you, but I love the fall. I love seeing the changing leaves. I love seeing the uh, beautiful colors. Uh, especially when we were in colorado watching the quaking aspen change that brilliant gold and some reds in it Uh, i've always just loved that time of year i'm struck with awe about the fall the autumn of the year many of us like spring struck with awe by all those little flowers and everything that turns green flying back from uh the icy storm in dallas uh last monday Uh, where we were delayed for two and a half hours to make certain we got proper de-icing on the wings. Uh, By the time we got to California, everyone on the plane was excited because you looked out the window and everything was green. (laughs) And a blue sky above. And no rain. And you know, everyone got off the plane just happy as larks. You know, (laughs) that they were in Southern California. And their bones were beginning to thaw out from wherever they came from. Even Atlanta was a high of 33 degrees on Sunday. And so it was cold, saw a few flakes of snow, but it didn't stick. But these these cycles awe us as we see them. And they reveal our insignificance. Have any of you been able to start a season when you'd like to have it? Deep in winter, have you been able to cause spring to take place the next day when you woke up? Or uh, wanting to see another change, maybe the spring was too wet and you wanted a dry, warm sun out? And you just couldn't get it to happen, you know. We have nothing to do with that, do we? And so we find out how insignificant we are. And when we think of these things, how great they are, it causes with the psalmist to say, "What is man that you take thought of him?" Tom. Me riding a motorcycle. I pray, when it's raining, and the Lord seems it safe for me to go. We'll call you when yeah. we want a change yeah. in weather. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Rain, so I'm happy. Okay, I'm glad you're He's happy for that. Him. But he does a rain dance before he goes. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> see the real secrets out now. I don't even ride in the rain. And Mike says he doesn't even ride in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> All right, so when we look at this, and this is where we left off last time, this is where we want to pick up today. If you're looking at the notes there, it's on page 8, and it's round and round and round and round. And the whole point of this is that It's our transience versus the world's permanence. No matter what happens to us, whether we're here or not, those seasons are going to continue. The sun's going to continue to rise. The sun's going to continue to set. The seasons are going to continue to have their cycle. Time will go on. People will go on. Life goes on. The earth goes on. And so when we look at these things, we are struck by the fact that we are very temporary on this earth and that this earth is very it gives a sense of being very very permanent and it's only when we go to the scriptures and find out that there's going to one day be a new heavens and new earth that then all these things are put into a different perspective but solomon looking at all this realizes hey you know i don't have much opportunity to enjoy the fruit of my labor here's the world's wisest man the world's richest man uh, arguably one of the most powerful men on earth at the time. And he is frustrated by the fact and concerned by the fact that he's just not going to have time to enjoy all that wealth and everything else. And, I mean, after all, he's got how many wives and concubines? He's got thousands of, he's got a thousand wives and three, or 300 wives and a thousand concubines. Uh, I mean, you know, here's a man that is saying, I don't have enough time. And it's no wonder. He's got so many people demanding his attention, his care, and everything else. And he's made some bad choices, some wrong decisions that has put him into a corner on a lot of things. And he's beginning to feel this and feeling the pressure and stress and becoming down about life. Can you imagine that? A man that rich, that wise, that powerful, with that type of position, being depressed because he doesn't have enough time it had to be a bad day for him yes but valentine's day didn't begin until about uh, what uh, 1700 years ago so <laughs> and here's King Solomon and what's he worried about he's worried about King death <laughs> because King death was going to put an end to the reign of Solomon all too soon for Solomon and Do you ever get to feeling that way sometimes? You think that, hey, life's really short. And how am I going to do the things I want to do? And if you've ever had even a fleeting thought of that, a thought about the brevity of life, the frustration of realizing there's so much you'd like to do or accomplish that you have not done, then you have a slight bit of an understanding of what Solomon was feeling like. Now, why do you think he felt it so keenly? Think about that. Why do you think Solomon felt this so keenly? Butch? Because he was so wise. Because he was so wise? Okay, there's one answer. What else? Yes, diet. Because he wasted a lot of time. Because he'd wasted a lot of time. That's a good answer. Okay, how did he waste all that time? All his wives. Okay, all the wives. God gave a pattern of having one wife. I mean, stupidity. Good. Joe? He gathered to himself great piles of wealth, that he realized he was going to leave all of it. All right. He suddenly realized everything stays. Becky? Okay. He saw the futility of everything. Why does he feel that life is so futile? what's going on in his life that has caused this crisis marcus Uh, there's no real accomplishment it's always a grasping of accomplishment there's no true accomplishment okay it's not i i he can't say i'm done okay he he hasn't accomplished anything that's going to last all right what else linda okay he has no control over his circumstances over here yes Okay? All right. That that's part of it. That wisdom. Mark? Okay, good. That's what I was waiting for. Marcus was headed that way. He got you right up there against it. All right. That's it. He is away from the Lord. He's not living for the Lord. He has a spiritual life that is bankrupt. He has no real hope left to focus on because he's given that up for what he sees. He's not walking by faith. He's walking by sight. You see, a spiritual condition has driven him to this point of frustration and to this point of uh, exasperation with life, depression. This is what has brought all this about. It's his spiritual crisis that's the reason for this. It's his lack of spirituality. It's his lack of, of serving God as he ought that has brought this about. And that's why he fears death. I mean, he's not ready to go to see the Lord. He's not, he doesn't have a good relationship with him. Yes, Tom? He's common. writing this now. He's, he's come back to his senses and realized what he's done, and now he's focused. Right. I believe he, this is writing it in the past. He, he's writing it after all this has taken place to give an account and explain it to us so we understand what he was going through. All right so he longs for knowledge and for accomplishments that are worthwhile notice that in verse three what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun and you say what this is a guy that built a temple built a palace became a king had the queen of sheba even come to visit him is world famous has ships at sea that are going off to uh babylon or going off to persia or going off to india or going off to egypt or going off to all parts of the world this is a man that has control of so much he is wise he understands he can walk outside and start naming the trees and the flowers he can name the animals he has written many proverbs he's written songs He has uh, works within Jerusalem where he has bettered the population's uh, lifestyle by providing uh, pools for water to be collected so they don't run out of water during the dry season. He has uh, provided uh, security by building chariot cities throughout the land and staffing them with warriors who are able to protect the people from invasion from the outside. He's done all these things and he says there's nothing that he can accomplish. You see, it, it's uh, kind of a odd juxtaposition here that such a successful man feels he is so unsuccessful. And it really comes from what Marcus is saying, what Mark was saying, what others of you have mentioned here. He's focused on this world. He's focused on what he can accomplish now. And in his wisdom, he knows that that is not permanent, is not going to last. He wants to find some permanency. Elsewhere in scripture, how do people attempt to establish some permanency outside of the Lord? Wealth, power, Wealth, power okay. Building monuments, to themselves. Building monuments to themselves, right. Tim? because with that void without God in the life uh, there's then no ju- there's no uh, conviction that there's going to be anything last there's no nothing eternal then you see nothing eternal yeah people according to Psalm 49 people buy lands and name them for themselves <laughs> in order to try to keep their name alive after they're gone or they build mansions and name them hoping that the that'll last monuments uh, <clears throat> All kinds of things. Inventions, patents, writing of books, of which there is no end, right? <laughs> Hoping that somehow there's going to be a lasting memory. Something left behind? Joe? Having children. Pardon? Having children. Having children, right. Hoping that, well, at least I've left children behind. They'll remember me. And then what ha- happens? The day after you're gone, they sell off all the stuff you saved for them. <laughs> that you're going to get them as an inheritance great-grandma stuff that you thought would stay in the family for generation after generation you know you're not not even cold in your grave and it's gone you see that's the you know children too and what happens with children sometimes they don't outlive the parents and sometimes uh, they go home to be with the lord very soon after we do in some occasions So, you know, we keep looking for that sense of permanence or we're thinking about that, but where should our focus be? On God. On God. All right? There are good things to focus on during life and to use for the praise of God, but there's also that idea that we need to look above and beyond that. So what is your life like? One commentator said, like a hamster in a wheel, everything is feverishly running in place but to no avail. You ever feel that way? (laughs) I'll tell you, sometimes I do. (laughs) When you get so busy. Why do we get so busy? And why is it? I I woke up yesterday morning with a number of thoughts on my mind. And uh, my back was bothering me anyway. So I got up and I sat down at the computer and I just started. I wrote three pages, single spaced, on these thoughts. And they all relate to what we're talking about today. Why is it? That we allow ourselves to get that busy? Why do you allow yourself to be distracted? What are the things that happen? Anyone? Butch? I think initially we tend to have good intentions about what we commit to, but we have kind a of tendency to also build ourselves in something mess of obligations. All right? We have a tendency to build up a lot of obligations. The obligations drive us. Okay, and pretty soon the obligations drive us. All right? Linda. God's role. Okay, we forget God's role in our life. Instead of focusing on Him, we're still trying to do everything ourselves, right? What else? diet fill, fill Okay, we try to fill emptiness. Okay, Joe. Um, I want to be I'm just thinking life. That we've a like, what? Quality life. Okay, we want to have a quality life. Okay, when we, when we feel like we lack quality in our life, we try to fill it with quantity, right? Quantity of things, quantity of money, quantity perhaps of children, quantity of whatever. Marcus? I think daily we like to compete with each other. All right, we like so to compete. We're keeping up with the Joneses exactly. next door, right? Isn't that part of it? And so we want to keep up with others, so we drive ourselves to keep up with them. Anna? Hey, we're looking for excitement so we enjoy one thing for a while when it gets dull we've got it conquered it's just become humdrum then we seek something else but part of that problem is we don't stop the other thing we just add another and pretty soon we've added and added and added and we're bored to death with six out of seven things we've committed ourselves to the seventh one is only going to be exciting for so long and pretty soon we're deeper in the hole right isn't that the way we are let's be honest we do not know how to say no we do not know how to say there's better things that should have higher priority and we allow ourselves to get overly busy and preoccupied. Butch? Yes, and that's something we're going to do and Solomon is going to do that for us because as Solomon is talking about these things that have caused him such frustration one of the things he learns is that the things we do have in life are a gift of God and must be seen that way. But to be seen that way and be understood as a gift, we have to also put them in their proper order of priority. Well, let's move on. We're looking for satisfaction, but unless we have a satisfaction that's deeper than our senses are capable of fulfilling, We're just going to keep adding and adding. Uh, Someone mentioned this just a few minutes ago. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, right? The ear is not satisfied with hearing. And we just tend to be unsatisfied. We just keep moving on and on. We're less and less satisfied all the time. Look at verse 8. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. We, We can't even describe it. We don't have words for it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Do you ever look at your wife or your husband or a child of yours and know they're unhappy and you ask them what's wrong and what's the answer? Nothing. Nothing or I don't know. Right? Pardon? Or I'm okay. Or I'm okay. Right? We often say that. How many of you, I, I want to ask you to raise your hand on this, but I know every one of us uh, perhaps I walked in here on Sunday morning and someone has asked, how are you doing? We say, fine. But deep inside, we know we're not fine, right? Now, part of it is we're just not satisfied. There's a lack of satisfaction about something. And the way we're going to gain that satisfaction is a satisfaction be found only in the Lord because he's the only one who can fulfill <coughs> it. Meanwhile, many things are wearisome. And... One of the points here is under the sun. Under the sun. Notice in verse 9, we have a repetition of the phrase we had in verse 3. In verse 3, it says, What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Verse 9 says at the end of it, So there is nothing new under the sun. Now, when we're talking about under the sun, what is that all about? What does it mean? We're all under the sun. Okay, but what is under the sun? Earth. Earth, but what else? life its life this present life we live on planet Earth so we're under the Sun now if we're going to talk about what's under the Sun what does that imply there's something above the Sun right (laughs) because it's building a contrast and that's part of the contrast if we focus on this life if we focus on this existence under the Sun then we're missing an added dimension that's above and beyond the sun. And in thinking about that, being above and beyond the sun, then there seems to be a contrast implied too. That God is very different in what he is and what he desires of us than what we have under the sun. So... We have an example here of something that Jesus brought up. And why don't someone turn to Luke chapter 12 for us and one of you that can read good and strong read those verses 15 to 21 for us. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Listen to what Jesus said here and compare it to what Solomon is saying. Aaron, go ahead. And he said to them this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, now what are the similarities between what Solomon's talking about and the, what the parable is saying? What are the similarities? Okay, over here. Laurie? Pardon Okay, Solomon has lived it. There's a similarity. He's lived what the foolish man has gone through. Okay, what else? What other similarities? He knows he'll be leaving behind everything. Okay, he knows he'll be leaving behind everything. Good. What else? Yes, Martha? Living for self. Living for self. Good. What else? left God out of the picture. Left God out of the picture. All right, notice the similarities. Now, what are the differences? What are the differences? The rich man forever. Okay. And Solomon he knows it knows he he's to. not going to. <laughs> All right? Yes, Patty. Okay. The rich man satisfied, Solomon is dissatisfied. All right? What else? Any other dis- uh, differences, Stephen? Alright, good. Notice on page 9, where you have the small print and the bullet points in the middle of the page, there's some of the similarities. No real profit ensues from material wealth is an understanding we get from both of these. Abundance does not satisfy. Just as God denied the rich man his anticipated enjoyment of his wealth in the parable, so also the preacher, Solomon, says that God does not empower the rich person to eat of his abundance and then the differences selfishly the foolish rich man focused on what he considered my crops my barns my goods but in Ecclesiastes Solomon is going to have a point here as we'll see we've mentioned it briefly this morning already that he sees that they're gifts of God that's a very big difference And I think it's part of the uh, indication that we talked about uh, two weeks ago that Solomon is really a saved man. But that this foolish man in the parable is not. And then also Ecclesiastes teaches people to keep busy with God-given joy. We find that out later in chapter 5, verse 20. Rather than taking their ease and doing nothing. All right. So as you look at these things, there's going to be some differences, but there's some of the same things going on. Now, what does that tell you? If Solomon, 900 years before Christ, is going through this type of thinking process, and in the time of Christ, there are people going through this process, so much so that Jesus uses one of his parables to address the issue, what does it tell you? There's nothing new under the sun. Exactly. Exactly. Marvin? Oh, think about it. Someone asked Andrew Carnegie one day, how much is enough? <laughs> and he says, just a little more. <laughs> right, just a little more. Again, we're not satisfied, are we? Exactly. All right, that word wearisome is very interesting in uh, verse 8. It's a word that's really related to a word that means to work, to work. And in Job 9.29, Job says... Uh, He's talking about and saying, well, if if all this is going on, then I have labored in vain. I have labored in vain. You have that word for labor is related to the word wearisome here. And the word vain is exactly the same word for vanity that is found in Ecclesiastes. So what we have is verses 3 and 8 in Ecclesiastes 1 form kind of a bracketing of this section. That it talks about work in verse three, and verse eight talks about work, things that are wearisome, weary and exhaustion because of labor. It rounds out this section. Now, this ceaseless activity is a natural phenomenon that makes us fall silent. It says here in verse eight, man is not able to tell it. We we just don't have words to describe it. We can't describe you've all gone through this, especially with teenagers, they can't describe why they're bored, right? (laughs) And in reality, their parents are in the same position, correct? When we're bored, we can't describe that boredom either. It is, we're silent before these things often because we can't really explain them. It is an, uh, it's an inexpressible frustration but our lives ought to be the exact opposite. Because instead of having inexpressible frusta- frustration, we should be filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory, 1 Peter one eight. Notice that contrast between our worldly existence and what we sometimes do in the flesh as opposed to what we ought to be experiencing. Now, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25 is a section that uh, deals with natural revelation and how that all people see that there is a God, he's all-powerful, he will judge, and he exists. And one of the things we find out is that uh, men, unregenerate men and women, have become futile in their speculation. They profess to be wise, and yet they are unwise, they worship the creature more than the creator. They've exchanged the truth for a lie. And that is why they have no words to express the meaning of the sun, the wind, the rivers, the stars, and the seasons. Think about it a minute. How many of you would say that after you became a Christian, you had a greater Appreciation of the seasons, of creation, and all the things around us. How many of you say that becoming a Christian increased your enjoyment and satisfaction and understanding of those things? Okay, a number of you did. All right? Uh, I know in my life, I was very immersed in the outdoors uh, by my parents from the very beginning, and I've always loved the outdoors. Just love spending time in it. Before I was saved, I would even just walk out of town and camp overnight in the prairie in Wyoming and uh, just just spend time all I could out in the open and fishing and hunting and everything else. But when I became a believer, when I became a Christian at the age of 16, uh, it, it, it was as though I was looking at all of that through different eyes. And I think, to me, what it is is what was lacking in Romans 1, 18 to 32 where we're not viewing the creator. We're only viewing the creation. But when we're saved and we recognize there is a creator and we have a relationship with him everything is far more beautiful not because the mountains and everything else have become more beautiful or the flowers are more beautiful or anything else it's the marvel that this is all because of a creator and it enhances our enjoyment of those things. So I think that that's part of what happens and and part of what then Solomon is going to come to. Let's go to the next point. This is on the bottom of page 9 of your notes. Nothing new. We just mentioned I think Carolyn mentioned that. You know there's nothing new under the sun. We learned that by seeing that in the time of Solomon and 900 years later plus in the time of Christ you still have people the same situation we've already said that there's still the same situation now 2,000 years later people have not changed there's nothing new and so as we deal with this idea of nothing new, the past is the future, and the future is the past. You say, but wait a minute, things have really changed now. I mean, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have DVDs, we didn't have Bluetooth, Blu-ray, Blackberries. Uh, any, you know, you go on and on and on and on. But all these things were not there. There are changes, yes, but just stop and think about the a minute, though. Is life really, in many regards, still the same? Are people the same? Have people changed because of all those things? No, Only to the fact that maybe they're moving around a little bit faster now and uh, maybe getting involved in more because they have so many appliances, they have so many uh, means of transportation and different aids electronically and everything else that we can fill our lives with many more things but it really isn't any different than what it was we're We're still all born in sin we're still sinners and we're still saved by grace and we still face the difficulties of life when we cut our fingers they still bleed the same when we lose a loved one the grief is still the same right the joy at the birth of a child is still the same uh the difficulty of labor for a living is still the same there are many, many things that are still the same. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. And this became part of Solomon's frustration that the more he improved things within the city of Jerusalem and the country, the more people were the same and the more situations and problems were the same. And he was frustrated over the whole thing. Man's yearning for new things and new experiences is sometimes the driving force in what we do and what we seek. How many new things do we seek? Anyone? Okay. Okay. New electronic device. Okay. That's right. Okay. What else do we look for that's new? Yes, Coral. We expect what to change? Okay, the latest president ran on a platform of change, and is there change? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and that's that's why today, look at how dissatisfied people are. They, they were dissatisfied under Bush, and con- congressional ratings were way, way down, and now congressional ratings are almost the lowest in history. They're one percentage point away from being the lowest in history. Uh, what was it that uh, uh, Will Rogers used to say about politicians, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's the same. Nothing changes. Politics don't change. Washington doesn't change. Life doesn't change. The difficulties don't change. And we're going through a depression, just like a depression uh, 70 or 80 years ago, and not quite as intense, but it has every possibility of becoming more intense. It could. We could end up worse than it is. I mean, look at the state of California, right? Yeah. Almost bankrupt. And you wonder what's gonna happen. Well, one thing is your gasoline tax is gonna go up soon. Right? So, what? where's the change? The change is disappearing from my pocket. <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> All right? We look for things new, don't we? We're we always seeking new experiences. Earlier, someone mentioned that all we do is seek a new excitement. We go from one excitement to another to another. I think it was Anna that was saying that, and and that's what we're looking for in life. Oftentimes, we wake up and say, "Okay, now what can I do new today?" And the thing is, is if we keep looking for something new, pretty soon we find out it really isn't that new. Someone got it before us, or it was already here long before us. You know, we one of the problems we have in seminary with seminary students and with professors sometimes too is seeking to try to find something new in scripture now that's a dangerous thing because if we really do find something new it's probably because it's wrong <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, even there it's not new because the same mistakes has been made already yes Bonnie all right. To okay. It's not really new to the world. I mean, All right. All right. What it, where can we find what is new? Where's the only newness that we can get? More than scripture, what else? In, in, Christ. in Christ. And what are we told when we come to Christ, we are what? We are new creatures. Old things, Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And as believers, what are we waiting for? A new up. heavens and new earth. We're waiting for the Lord to come back and give us a new body, right? A glorified body. You see, there's where real newness is. It's in the spiritual realm in what God can do for us not what we can do for ourselves but what god can do for us that is the truly new because anything else that man can do man has done and so nothing's new there but that which god gives is new the new birth the new glorified body the new relationship to christ the new heavens new earth the 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 things that he can grant are all there and they're so marvelously wonderful now, there's a quote for you on page 10. I won't read it to you. You can go home and read it. But it talks about this. It's by Michael Eaton. He was a Baptist preacher who wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes in the Tyndale Old Testament commentary series. It's the best commentary available on Ecclesiastes, if you're looking for one. And uh, it is, he's done a marvelous job. And one of the things is that he preached through an, a lengthy series on the book of Ecclesiastes. I just finished reading another commentary that's brand, the newest commentary on Ecclesiastes and it just lacked something all the way through and when I got to the end, the commentator said, now this is how you preach the book of Ecclesiastes, he wanted to just, you know, talk to pastors, talk to seminarians and say, okay, this is what you do in preaching the book of Ecclesiastes, but basically I said is just a couple of messages is all you need, one, two or three, that's it. He had never preached through the book of Ecclesiastes himself. He admitted that. That's what's lacking. And that's what's lacking in the book of Ecclesiastes for any of us. If we do not spend time in the book, applying it in our lives, and spending time thinking about it deeply and allowing it to change us and how we think and how we live, we're not going to have much to say about the book either. And there'll be something missing when we approach the book of Ecclesiastes and talk about it so watch for this the solomon basically answers his own question here when he gets to verse 11 there is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur there will be far, there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still in other words yeah all things just are the same over and over again there is no newness and we pass off the scene and the next generation comes We're gone, and we're no longer remembered. There is a cultural and spiritual amnesia that takes place. That's why we never learn from history. We study it, and yet we never learn from it. And here's Solomon, the wisest man, and what's happening in his kingdom? His kingdom is in decline. He just doesn't recognize it yet. He's no longer in control. All those multitudes of wives are in control of his life and they've drawn him aside to idolatry and God is going to allow that which Solomon has done to be brought to nothing. He is in decline. Israel is in decline. The enemies are pressing in and he has a worthless son who's going to take up after him who is going to be totally unable to handle the situation. Why? Why? Well, Solomon's been too busy seeking his own things and hasn't had time to mentor his own son. Any advance in the future must build on the past and must understand the past. And that's why in the scriptures, God's people are told to build on history. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. That's to Israel. What are we to remember? That we were once enemies of God, right? We were nothing but sinners and without God in the world. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you. Your elders and they will tell you. The idea here is remember. Go back over history. Learn what the Most High has done. Remember what he has done. Remember what God has given his portion to his people. This is what we need to pursue more than anything else. And this last section of this chapter is in pursuit of wisdom. And in pursuit of wisdom, here Solomon is giving his own personal testimony. And this personal testimony is going to occupy us next week as well as we go into chapter 2. The ancient Near Eastern kings, the royal biographies, always exaggerated everything they did. I've given you two examples on the bottom of page 10. You can read those on your own. I gave you an Egyptian pharaoh, Amenhotep II who was the Pharaoh of the Exodus from Egypt when Israel came out. And Tiglath-Pileser III, a king of Assyria, who was a very powerful king during the time of Israel's existence. Read those. And as you read them, you find out that Solomon does not exaggerate in Ecclesiastes. He doesn't exaggerate his accomplishments, and he certainly recognizes his own folly, his own failure and his own frustrations. He's brutally frank and open and honest. That's the way the word of God is. It doesn't dwell in hyperbole and exaggeration. It deals in the stark reality of situations. Did Solomon have the ability to research life? Okay, what did he have that enabled him to be a researcher of life? Wealth and wisdom. wisdom. He could pay for any researcher. He could travel anywhere in the world, he could buy any book or any work of wisdom and he had the wisdom to evaluate it and look at it and understand it. But he couldn't fly airplanes. But he couldn't fly airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have any yet. <laughs> he had to go by ship. Look at his knowledge. First Kings 4.33 He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. He had a voluminous knowledge of the world and could look at it with care. But he could not find solutions. And as the absence of viable solutions to his frustrations, to his folly, to all these things he was facing drove him back to God. That's what this book is all about. You see, God appoints us busyness to humble us. God allows us to become busy in many things just so that we will realize what Solomon realized, that our busyness just does not satisfy. Our busyness will not bring us anything that will last for eternity. So when you get busy, overly busy, and you get frustrated, remember... God allowed you to go through that experience so that you would be humbled and realize that, after all, we are not indispensable. Linda? is the converse of that, that it's not a good thing to become busy, It's not a good thing to become busy for those purposes of trying to leave something behind, for those purposes of trying to gain a name, or fame or power or influence or security all those things to be found in god without god the quest for truth and for eternity is fruitless and there's no answer for what is the purpose of life on this planet unless you can answer from god's perspective now we're going to stop right here and when we come back i'll uh, talk about this and what you can do is finish reading these notes you just have the bottom of page 11 and page 12 and I provided you there with a little bit about Stephen Hawking and I provided you with a, a story from Charles Swindoll and by the way that book by Charles Swindoll living on the rugged ed- ragged edge I I highly recommend that for a study of the book of Ecclesiastes Barb and I read that together uh, in Bangladesh, sitting at the table and reading a chapter at a time, going through reading each of us reading a paragraph or a page. Uh, it was fantastic, fantastic study of Ecclesiastes. Read that and come back next time, and we'll begin right there. We'll finish this last part. We only have a little bit to say here, and we're going to move on to chapter two, which continues Solomon's search for satisfaction by applying his wisdom. That's about prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us today. We thank you for this class and for their uh, love for you and their love for your word. And we just pray for each one that we might learn to put our focus above the sun, might learn to put our focus on those things which last, which are kept in you, laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moss and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break and steal. Help us to seek first your kingdom and all those things that we think satisfy will be added as you deem fit to uh, allow us to enjoy your gifts. Place our focus on you this week. Let others see Christ in us and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.